Thanks, Rachel. <clears throat> um, if you do have your Bible or an app or whatever it is you use to peruse here, um, keep that open, please, because we will look back at it. Um, one of the reasons why we do that, uh, well, well, there's lots of reasons why we kind of look back at it, but one of them is because what we want to be said up here, um, to be, we want it to be more than just a good idea or good words or some interesting things to talk about. We actually want what's said up here to be coming from what's coming out of here. And the only way to really do that is to make sure we keep on going back to what this is saying. Um, and also, to kind of prove to you all who are listening to this, like, oh, what he's saying is actually indeed coming from here, not just something that's coming from a good idea or a blog post or something like that. Now, what, um, I would like to maybe just talk, so we, are, we talk about this series called Love Came Down. We're looking at these different aspects of what does it mean, or why is it good news, or why is it, why is it a good thing that Jesus came down to, from heaven to earth? Like, what, why is that a good thing? Why is that something worth celebrating? Basically, what's the deal with Christmas is the real kind of big question. Why is that a big deal? Why should we care? Well, one of the things is about, um, it connects with us being good. And we may not think that immediately, but it does connect with us being good, because being good is something, surely, like, we all want to be. Everyone wants to be good. So however you define that might be different for each one of us. We all want to be good. Or maybe, at the very least, if we can't actually be good, we'd like to be seen as good. I want people to know I'm good. That's maybe even more important than being good itself. But being good, um, obviously, it's good to be good, but there can be a bit of a trap in that. There can be a bit of a trap in that. I think probably all of us are trapped in that a little bit, in being good, because probably without us really kind of verbalizing it or even like going through the thought process, we think that in order to be good, we must do good. Or especially to prove to other people, we must do good in order to prove to other people that we're good. If I do enough good, then I'll be good and I'll prove to everybody else. That's a cycle that will never have an ending because you can always be better. You can always do gooder. You can always be better in your life. You always do better things, bigger things. And we end up as human beings stuck trying to be human doings over and over and over. I'm going to do, I'm going to do good, I'm going to do good, and just never has, there's no end point to that. If I have these friendships that proves I'm all right, I'm good. If I have this partner, I can finally be good. If I work like mad and get that house, then I'm good. If I have this family that looks like this, then I'm good. If I pray really hard and show up to church services, then I'm good. And everyone else will see that I'm good too. How are you? You all right? Good. You? Good. Like everybody's good. Everybody is good all the time. Except we know that's not really true. That's not really true. In fact, at a time in history where everybody should be good because everything is amazing, we're not. I mean, I, right now, if I wanted to, I could order uh, you know, Burger King to come up through this door from here. I don't even have to leave. I could do that if I was in my bed. That, that by itself, that's an amazing kind of thing. We have electricity. We have plumbing. I mean, those things we kind of take for granted. We have Wi-Fi. Well, when the Wi-Fi goes out, we know what we're like, right? We live like kings and queens. We have antibiotics and schools and houses. But our Western culture, with everything that it has to offer, has also been the loneliest one, the loneliest one we've ever had on record. Ever since we were keeping records of what is loneliness like, this is the most lonely one we live in. So how about you? Are you feeling good? I think the reality is that we as a society really aren't good, and we really aren't doing good, or at least not as much as we think we are. And no amount of striving can get us there. There's this famous um, Jim Carrey quote that the Alpha Course uses, and it's fantastic, kind of encapsulates all this. Jim Carrey, the famous actor, saying, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. 
You can chase followers and money all you want. Don't let me stop you. But I hope you'll realize beyond your basic needs, they're actually not going to do very much. Now, that might be bleak if that was the end of the story, but it's not. Because the great news is that instead of us trying really hard to reach towards something really good, one of the reasons why we celebrate Christmas and make it a huge, massive thing is everything good came down to reach towards us. We don't have to reach towards it because it came to us, down to us first. Love came down to us. Love came down through Jesus to us, and through this love, we can be good. In fact, we're made good. More than we can do good, before we even can do anything, we're actually made. We're given a new identity, a new way of being. And this goodness then enables us to act differently. So instead of doing good to be good, through Jesus, we're made good to do good. It's a tiny little switch, but that's the difference between empty religion and Christianity. Instead of doing good to be good, through Jesus, we're made good to do good. We think goodness is something we achieve, but actually, before anything, it's something that we get to receive. And there are lots of aspects of this, and we've looked at some already with this Advent series. But today we're going to focus on what comes up here in Galatians 4, on adoption. Through Jesus, love came down to adopt us into his family. And we'll, you may say, like, we'll just talk about goodness, now we're talking about adoption, what's the deal? I promise you they will connect We'll get there. And if you have any other questions that we don't get to or things that you want more kind of information about, there's a website there at the bottom, redeemermcr.com slash ask. It's an anonymous way to put in questions. It'll come in through here, and then um, we'll get to it after the sermon. So let's look at maybe at first of a background here. Verse 4, if you look at there, it says, um, But when the, ta- when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Basically what verse 4 is telling us, Paul, who's the author here, verse 4 is saying, in God's own timing, God the Father sent God the Son to be born like, uh, like us, and the rest of the verses are basically about to adopt us, to adopt us. Now that means our story, if you follow Jesus, is one of being orphaned in all the kinds of ways that we've been orphaned, uh, and then being brought into a family, of not having a home and then being given one, of being alone with someone else who's, without someone whose, whose sole job is to look after you, now being brought into a loving family where you're looked after and cared for. If one is adopted, they become part of that family. Not if they perform at a certain level, but because parents have brought them in just for who they are. I mean, no kid, if you adopted a kid, was going to be like, well, if you're really good, we'll keep you. If not, sorry, you're out of here. Like, it just doesn't work that way. And being adopted into God's family is such a good thing for us. Because outside of God's family, the best we can do is try hard at being good, never really reach that bar, but keep trying anyway, never really find a place of rest and contentment. Being in God's family, we get to be made something new first. And from that foundation, that's where all the newness comes out. That's where all the goodness comes out. So a few reasons why being adopted into God's family is good news for us. And the very first thing we're going to get is a new identity. A new identity that isn't achieved, not something that we kind of like um, build up our CV with, but it's something that was received, that's given to us. Identity is this kind of question of who are you at the core? The Bible uses a term like heart or innermost being, or terms or soul, like that's like who you, like your, your deepest part of you. How do you see yourself? What are you about? And often we answer those kinds of questions with like our career, with our family, with our passions, maybe a salary. You can be incredibly successful on the outside though, but it comes, it can come from a place of insecurity on the inside. You may not feel rooted or grounded or good, however you might define that. So you have to be great at your job. Otherwise, like who are you? or have to be the most amazing parent ever, or have to tick all the right boxes on political and social issues. 
you can tell what you use for your identity when you imagine that thing kind of crashing down and burning. What about if you didn't just have like a bad parenting day, and if you have kids, we all have them, let's say like a bad parenting week or a bad parenting month, you would probably think it's, it's beyond me, like it's beyond my abilities. You would probably feel like I am a bad person. I don't just, I'm not just a bad parenting person. I'm just, I'm bad. Or, or what about if you got sacked from your job? You might think, like, who am I? Like, there's an identity question. Like, what am I about now? Or, or if your friend group all of a sudden decided to, to, to blank you and you don't have friends anymore. Now, of course, all those things are nav- to navigate are difficult in itself. But one of the reasons it would be so difficult is because we place a lot of who we are into what we do. There's loads of, what, of who we are into what we do. We think we can achieve an identity. We think if I just do this and this, then I get to be this. If I'm a good parent and um, have a good family and have a house, then I can be, you know, my version of goodness. Whatever. And we all have those different kinds of equations. But if we are adopted, we haven't achieved anything. We've received it. We've received it. We aren't our own anymore, lost and striving. We get to be God's sons and daughters because we're part of his family. But that's an identity that he gives us and that we receive. We, we don't do anything to, to get to a point of goodness where God's like, oh, finally you're good enough to come in. That's not how it works. In fact, it's the opposite. Even when we're a bad parent and get sacked and have our friends blank us. In fact, that's actually the easiest way, the best way to be resilient when those difficult things do come through is knowing that you are adopted outside of all the things that you can do or not do. You're adopted and part of God's family. And, and what um, Paul, the author here says, is we get to be adopted to sonship. In verse 5, the, the last kind of few words, uh, um, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Not adoption to slavery, not adoption to be part of the staff, not adoption to kind of to be this, uh, this I don't know, other kind of um, like worker for, for someone who's either a good boss or a bad. You get to be a, a sons and daughters. If God is the king, we are the king's sons and daughters if we follow Jesus. We get to know the king as a father, not just as a ruler. Yes, he's a ruler, but he's also a father. As a loving, doting father who loves to give his children what they need. That's what, the, that's what the father loves to do. Now, maybe you have a question here, and you should. The, the gendered sonship. Like, well, what about daughtership? Just as sonship here. What's the deal here? Well, during the time of writing, Paul, who's writing to this church in, in Galatia, is writing to a society where only sons inherited the family estate. Daughters couldn't inherit, and it was actually very difficult for them to own property anyway, difficult for women to own property anyway. But here's a scandalous thing to the culture then. Uh, the we that we have is in verse 5. So let's read verse 5 here. So redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption of sonship. Who's the we? He's talking about the entire church, men and women, everybody. So the church gets men and women, gets something that only was reserved for men previously. That's what Paul's talking about here. Everyone who has faith in Jesus, that's the we included here, included men and women. So Paul is saying that men and women get this inherited identity that would be more like liberal than the lefties of lefties there in Galatia at this time. It'd be like, well, Paul, he's, he's like, he's really politically out there. He's saying like men and women both get to inherit things. I mean, that's a ridiculous notion, according to then. But Paul is using that term sonship in like, in like a legal setting, but applying it to both genders of the church in a spiritual setting. Because with God, nobody's excluded because of their gender or ethnicity or class or whatever else. Now, I, I grew up um, not 
insanely poor, but poor enough. Uh, I mean, we never went hungry in my family, but we had to rely on the government to help with food and stuff like that. I never had the cool clothes. We didn't um, really go on family holidays. But I had a friend whose family was, was, in my perspective, really well off. He was probably just like generically middle class in America, but I was like, oh, Ryan is rich. Like, to me, because he had, like, game consoles, and he had cool clothes, Quicksilver. Oh, man, Quicksilver was so cool. So Ryan, he, I mean, one of the great things about being friends with Ryan was he always had the newest game console, Super Nintendo. Oh, man, I'm dating myself here. Sega CD. I don't know if Sega CD was a thing here. Beyond Sega Genesis, Sega CD. Oh, look at that. The Sega CD. Oh, the graphics were insane. They also had, like, I remember the family had, like, a couple quad bikes you could, like, ride around. It was amazing. It was really fun to go to Ryan's house. The family got along, they seemed to like and care for each other, and my house was always kind of a bit chaotic. And so when I was there at Ryan's, they treated me really well. It was great. It felt like living with family. But I always went home. There was always a point, even if I slept over, I always would go, have to go back home to my house. And at some point, there was always my own family that was there. My own identity as a son who tried hard but could never really be enough, of not being cared for and loved in a way that a, a boy would like to be, let alone all the consumerist cool stuff like Sega CDs. But when God adopts you into his family, he never leaves. You never have to go home elsewhere outside of him. He's always there. He's always caring, always loving, always at work. The Bible says he's always at work for your good, not just for his own glory. See, God is this crazy thing. He's he's ultimately powerful, so he can do something that brings him the most glory and actually is the best thing for you, and he does that all the time simultaneously. If this kind of God can be our Father, and we only talked about it super briefly, if that kind of God can be our Father, why would we go anywhere else? The benefits from being in His family are far better than the benefits of the middle-class niceties I got from my friend like a Sega CD. They're far better than anything this world has to offer. Now, why is this actually like really good news? Well, one main reason is it stops us from being life-sucking vampires. I might need to explain that a bit and not just stop there and move on to the next point. It prevents us from being life-sucking... Here's the idea behind that. If your identity is in what you do, you will always want to get more out of that thing than it can actually offer. And so if my identity is in being a good parent, I will want Colin to come through and respond in a way that shows me I'm a good parent in a way that Colin is not meant to bear. If my identity is in my job, in, in Redeemer. I, I will want Redeemer to come through for me in a way that will never be enough. It will never be enough. And if I make any of those things the best thing, then that just kind of supplants all the goodness I can get from it anyway. Because now if Redeemer is more than a job at my identity, it becomes a burden. It becomes horrible. It becomes a horrible taskmaster. If my identity is, is in being a good father to my son, I will never be the perfect father to my son. And that's going to be a horrible thing instead of being a good experience. It's going to be a horrible experience for me, let alone for him, who feels like he has to come through for his dad in a way that a son is never meant to be for his father. It's like a, um, a very needy tween staring into a mirror saying, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm good. That's how we treat all those other things. That's not really a good way for us to live. Because nothing, nobody else can ever come through for you in the way that you really need. We'll always be let down as much as we let other people down. And this is also not the best way to live for others. We've been, I've just been talking about myself. That's not the best way for others' sake as, as well. Because what we need are people who, are, who have a foundation and who are resilient enough to be able to weather the difficulties that come from all the other things out there. 
And we don't really want people to be selfishly serving us. We want people to serve us from actual generosity. It doesn't come from the selfishness of them being, having to be told that they're good. But a new identity from God, being his sons and daughters, it frees us to receive the love we need, and it frees us to give the love that we really ought to, to the people who we love, and we really want to love them that way. There's no other way to do it. If we are a, fa- a daughter or a son, we have all the love we need through Jesus, all the security we need, all the comfort we need, and this gets, through, it gets us through the most difficult of times. If we're God's children, we not only have all that we need, but now that we are filled, that frees us, because it's an overwhelming kind of outpouring of love that frees us to be able to love others in a way that is freeing that we wouldn't be otherwise. We're free to love others in the way that we actually really want to, and to do it not as a way to get something for ourselves, but loving others as just a way to love them, and that's it. And because through Jesus we get to be so utterly confident in who we are first before we do anything, I am God's daughter, I am God's son, is kind of like a superpower. Because it means whatever might come, joblessness, loneliness, fear, disappointment, and all those things will come, nothing can ever disrupt who we are in God's family. Nothing can ever do that. Through Jesus, love came down to adopt us into his family, and he gives us a new identity. That's just one of the reasons. Another reason why it's good to have this new identity from God is that it gives us a new heart. It gives us a new heart. Let's look at verse 6. Paul says, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit of his Son, the Spirit of Jesus, is the Holy Spirit, God himself, sent into our hearts. Now, not like our physical, like beating, pumping heart, but this way of saying into the innermost part of who we are, into the core of who we are. That's one aspect of this new identity. You're not your own, yeah, and also the living God is alive inside you in a very kind of mysterious way, but true way. In another place, this process is described as God's love being poured into our hearts, kind of like an over, like just... If you had like a, a mug of something and you're pouring it, just you keep on pouring it. You're like, okay, you can stop now. I don't, I don't need it anymore. You can stop now. But he just keeps on pouring. It's crazy. I mean, think of that mug. Think of an empty cup, maybe in the morning. What a sad thing. A cold, empty mug. And you're there and you just woke up. It's Monday. You're like, oh, do we really have to? I guess we do. It's snowing outside. Oh, no. How am I going to get to work? A mug without tea or coffee, but then the flow of that beautiful morning liquid like fluid comes it fills up that mug, you know, your hands are warm, and you're warm, and that changes your morning completely. We're all addicts here. We all responded, you know, yeah, that's good. That is what adopted sons and daughters always have in them. God has taken up residence in your heart. He doesn't leave. He doesn't sign a lease. He's not on right move looking for better places whilst on the toilet. He's there. He saw you from far off, and actually you were really easy to see. Because you, all of us, were a broken down wreck of a mess. He saw you as you are, but also how you could be. So he bought you. And now your place, it's all his. He took his stuff, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they all moved in. It's their address now. They have redirected their post. Their address is 16 Wilton Road, M219DW. Their address is Rachel Evans. Their address is Sam Horan, even someone like Greg Wilson. God has bought it, and now he's getting to work. From the ground up, he's renovating that wreck into something that resembles a home, a warm, inviting space, not just for me, not just for you, but for other people who don't even know him yet. And he's never moving away because he's there for good. He himself dwells there. And he's not doing this because he has to. He loves to do this. 
This is the kind of thing that God loves to do. And because of that, now we have a different relationship with God. Because he's the ruler, yes. He's the all-powerful king, yeah. He's over and above everything, and he's also dad. He's our father. That word Abba, not the band, is like a baby's way of saying daddy. It's like before a baby can say words, it's like they might say, oh, he's saying daddy, but you're like, he's not really saying daddy. He's just making kind of syllables. That's what that word Abba, Abba means. It's a way of saying daddy that's kind of like untranslatable, but it's like kind of like dada almost. Because the Holy Spirit is there in us. Before you really know stuff about God, you know him. This is a loving, close, cared-for relationship. He's not just there to renovate. He's there to parent in a loving way. And because he's God, he knows just exactly how to do that for you. And everyone has different needs. And if this is us, and that frees us from another thing, that frees us from the power of chaos and disorder and darkness, all the stuff that the Bible calls sin. If we have a new heart through the Holy Spirit, all the dark parts of our soul that would otherwise have been in control of us, are now not in control. Right now, in the present, God gets to be in control. It doesn't mean we're perfect, because we're a work in progress, but it does mean we have a different way of living, a different trajectory in life, because God lives here. And if God lives here, that changes our present lives. It also changes our future, because through Jesus, love came down to adopt us into his family, and through that, we get a new identity, a new heart, And lastly, we get a new future. This is what verse 7 is about. It says, So you're no longer a slave. And he's writing to people who weren't like actual slaves, but who were enslaved, living out other ways of life. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So we talked a lot about being God's child. Um, And being a child means you're provided for in the present, but being a child of someone like God means you're also provided for in the future. And what is an heir? An heir is someone who, who gets the stuff when the parent dies. At the time of writing, only males could get an inheritance. Of course, the way that Paul is applying this is to men and women. He, he, he kind of uses that narrow kind of cultural reality to communicate a much more inclusive spiritual reality that men and women both get to be heirs because the image of God is seen through both of them. You could have been a slave while reading this. As Paul was, was writing it, you could be a slave in a house. You could not, maybe not be a citizen. Maybe you weren't free. You, you couldn't own property. You can't vote. But even the slave through Jesus gets to be free because they're a child of God. And if a child of God, also an heir. In fact, elsewhere, Paul says that we're co-heirs with Christ. He writes that in Romans. That sounds almost heretical to say. We're on like par with Christ in that way? Like that? Am I allowed to say that? That means everything Jesus gets, we get. That, doesn't, that sounds too good to be true and like just weird. Because I don't know if we really think that we're worth that much. I don't think we really understand how glorious like we as human beings actually really are. And one thing we don't get is, is all the worship. That, that's all for Jesus. But what do we get? What is our future? And it's nothing less than this whole world remade. That's in our, our inheritance. Paul doesn't talk about that exactly what the being an heir means, but that, that's what uh, Revelation gets, talks a lot about in other places in the Bible. In fact, in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, this remade world is described in ways that we can like kind of understand, but kind of not. What's literal? What's metaphorical? There's, so many, there's as many opinions as there are people who have read the book. But there are some things that are definitely clear. One is that God is there, 
The other one is we get to experience him, way, experience him in a more full way than we have here on earth. We get that in the future. All the chaos, all the disorder within us, that still feels like a battle inside, that battle is over. We don't have to fight uh, that fight within us anymore. We get to be fully free, fully with God all the time. There are no tears there because there's nothing to have tears about. There's no sadness, and God's renovation plan in us that was started is now actually completed. There is a completion date. There is an end date. That's our inheritance as being heirs in God's family. Now that, even in the parts that we can understand, is a far better future than we can imagine for ourselves, let alone a far better future we can kind of attain for ourselves. I mean, what's the best that we can do? What if all your crazy dreams came true, and you made all the money, and got the perfect job, and married the perfect people, had the perfect amount of kids, all that kind of stuff? That's cool, like, well, like, what then? You got all the things, cool, like, what then? I guess enjoy it, maybe retire. Like, okay, well, like, what do you do then? That's the best that we can think of. Our imaginations are really low. But even if we were completely successful in all of our dreams in life, whatever that might be, it would still be lame, completely lame, in comparison to what God has to offer us. Because being an heir means all that God has, we have. Just as God saw you, and is remaking you, and one day you will be remade. The same is true about this world. He created this world, and we decided to break it, but he didn't leave. He and all, uh, he is all in all of the time, and he is right now remaking it through Jesus. All the injustices that we get frustrated about, and rightfully so, that we, we get angry about, and rightfully so, one day they will be set right. All the good things that our hearts long for and don't have, one day... They will be satisfied, fulfilled even, beyond satisfaction. One day, all the parts of our lives that feel disconnected, that don't feel finished, that are just kind of not quite right, will be made right, will be made new. All will be right. All will be well. And that is what we get to inherit for those who follow Jesus. It's far better than a big house, far better than a lump sum of money. We get to inherit this world remade, ourselves remade. And what God does, this crazy thing, is he invites us into that remaking process, into that renovation process. He doesn't do it just by himself, but he invites us along, kind of like bring your kid to work day. He invites us to that renovation process, perfects it in us, and invites us to enjoy it. I mean, the other day, Colin just bought a, um, uh, with some of his pocket money, he, he bought this like Lego magazine thing with a Lego thing. He enjoyed the whole process of buying it and getting the thing because he paid for it himself instead of us just paying. I mean, he would have enjoyed it either way, let's be honest. But the fact that he went to the store, he paid for it, he got the change and all that stuff, he worked it all himself, he had a level of enjoyment that was different than if it was just given to him. And that's the same thing that God works in us. There's a level of enjoyment we get when we're a part of something, when we're a part of something like a church, when we get to be a part of this renovation thing that's different than if it was just handed to us. And through all the time, through all time, Everyone who follows, who, who has followed or will follow Jesus all together, bought by him, perfected by him, now together, we all will get to enjoy it at a big, huge, massive party called the New Heavens and Earth. It's like a big, massive red wedding reception, feast, and party. I mean, say you have two people who you know are getting married, uh, and you're excited. Oh, two people you know are getting married. You're excited to celebrate with them. Just imagine, if you will, the possibility of those people existing in this world. So you go, to, you go to the reception, you wear something special, you know, they're good drinks, it's an open bar, right? And there's, um, <laughs> there's good food, <laughs> that's right, 
There's room for everyone to come in. Nobody's left out. This is like a party unlike anyone else of us has seen. And there's dancing there, or if you don't like dancing, and there's not even dancing there. But at some point, you know, you get tired. Because every party, you're just like, oh yeah, it's time to be done. Because I'm enjoying it now. I'm not super enjoying it in a bit. And in an hour from now, I will not be enjoying it. You know, there's that point that crests over. I think it's time to go. That time comes earlier the older you get, by the way. But at some point, you're like, this is great, but now it's time to go. And if I stay, it won't continue to feel great. Well, our new future is like that massive party, but always good. Never wanting or even needing to go. That feeling of goodness, we can only handle that in kind of little moments here right now. Our capacity for goodness is so small. You know, I think the older we get, our capacity for goodness gets smaller and smaller. Because a kid, if you do something funny, you know what they're going to say? Do it again. Do it again. You just had a piece of cake. I want another one. Like, they just, they want the goodness all the time. But it's like that, but to like an infinite level. Imagine what it would be like if you've never tired. Some people maybe try and extend that feeling. That's why cocaine exists, right? There's a reason why those things work and why they're out there. But this is something that a good party or a good high can't even dream of. This is our future with Jesus as he's adopted us into his family. And how in the world has all this happened? Because that sounds great. Who wouldn't want that? That sounds fantastic. That sounds great. People pay a lot of money for small, like, lame versions of that. How can we get in on this? How has this happened? Well, in God's own timing, God the Father sent God the Son to be born like us, as it says here, under the law, like all the pressures of having to, to feeling to be good, I need to do good, all that kind of stuff, but to redeem us, to buy us back so that the Holy Spirit can move in. This is the Trinity at work. The process through which God enabled this to be true is the process called redemption. Jesus is called the Redeemer because he's the one who achieved redemption. Through Jesus, we're bought back from having to be good to get good. So we try and achieve an identity, but Jesus achieved redemption so that we can receive a new and better identity. We try and achieve an identity, but Jesus achieved redemption so we can receive a new and better identity. And as with any kind of redemption, even in the definition of the word, there's a price. The price for our adoption, the adoption that gives us a new identity, a new heart, a new future, was Jesus' own life. He went through physical, emotional, and worst of all, spiritual torture, not because he liked it. He didn't. He despised that, but because he wanted you to experience the thing that he gets. Jesus knows all the stuff he's going to get. He wants more people to get the stuff he's going to get. He wants more people to know who he is. Jesus' death on the cross isn't a potential of like what can happen, but it was him making the things happen. And what he made happen was the adoption of more men and women into the family of God. And this is one reason why we celebrate the Lord's Supper each week, to be constantly reminded of kind of what went on with the cross, what went on, what goes on with the resurrection, to be constantly reminded of our new identity that we have, not through what we do, but through what he's already done. You know, if all this sounds great, or at least interesting, or maybe you want to know more about this love that's come down, maybe your experience now doesn't match up with what we talked about. And maybe you want to get in on more of this. If you're either here or, or watching kind of online, you can message me. You can message that thing down there and provide a way for someone to get in touch with you about it. Talk to a missional community leader if you're in one of those. One thing you really ought not to do, though, if you're feeling that disconnect, is to not say something. To have this feeling of like, oh, I think there's something there, and then to like push it down with all the dark things you don't really want to think about. That's just a way to kind of go through life as a zombie and not really enjoy life. 
That's how to live without actually really living. That's an inauthentic life, the ultimate inauthentic life. For everyone who follows Jesus, though, who's been adopted into his family, what he's given us, one of the many ways, symbols of himself, he's given us a symbol of a meal. This symbol helps us remember that Jesus died for his family. The bread represents his body, and the cup represents his blood. Now, there's really nothing mystical here. It's just a wafer and some juice. But even in this small version of what an actual meal is like, there is the image of what Jesus has done for us and our need for it. As much as we need food or drink, we need Jesus even more than that. We need him to adopt us, to give us a new identity, a new heart, a new future. We need him to keep us reminded of this reality. This is who we are through what he has done. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus... Uh, this is not for you to take yet. Maybe one day it will be when you decide to follow him, or maybe today is that day. Again, if that's you, you have to tell somebody. Sorry, there's no other choice. You just have to. What we'll do is we celebrate um, as we, we sing. So in, the, in a moment when we're going to sing, find a time uh, as you're singing. and, and as, sing, Singing is a, a bit of a form of prayer because we're not just singing to each other. We're also singing back to God. We're singing to ourselves. Find a time in, in, in that song where you want to take the bread and take the cup. Through Jesus, love came down to adopt us into his family. And through that, we get a new identity, a new heart, and a new future. Let me pray. God, we thank you for...